turn to the Lord as we turn to the Word. Let's ask for the Lord's favor on His Word this, this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we continue to consider the callings you've given to us to bear by the blessing of your Spirit, the fruit of your Spirit in our lives, that you will guide us as we take a look at and focus upon the calling to be gentle as we hear from Galatians and as we hear from your Word. May you accept our, our prayers that we might receive your Word in such a manner as to bring glory to your name, that what's read, what's ministered may be done in a faithful way that draws the spotlight away from the individual and places it where it belongs upon our great God, who through uh, the Spirit and Jesus uh, is truly exalted in the lives of his people. We ask that you would hear us in the name of Christ. Amen. We're going to take a look this morning at 2 Timothy 2, 22-26, as well as Galatians 5, 23, at least the one, the first word in that verse, that's dealing with the calling for God's people to be gentle. We've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit in these past weeks. Uh, it's kind of nice that... Hull uh, Christian School was looking at that as a theme throughout, throughout their year, uh, and uh, so now we're just following up with that and doing that ourselves here at Dune URC. Uh, as we're looking at this passage from 2 Timothy 2, 22-26, just to note that in the first point, I, I said that uh, the first point is a godly servant that should be a godly pursuit. Uh, I used the word servant just before that, and must have doubled up on that. So actually the first point is a godly pursuit rather than a godly servant. So we look at 2 Timothy 2, 22-26. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. If nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, uh, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Thank God's, uh, God for his word. It may indeed be a blessing for us as we uh, focus in on it th this morning. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I wonder if any of our boys and girls have ever been chased by a dog. Now, you might have a dog, and that dog's not going to chase you except to be maybe playful, but uh, you may have been chased by a dog that wasn't so playful and rather was scary to you. I've had that experience before, and uh, I actually had a daughter of mine uh, who lives in DeMont. She was just going out for a walk, and she got chased by a dog and, and got bit by that dog, and uh, that meant a trip to the hospital for her. It's not a nice thing when you have a dog chasing you, and, and you certainly don't stand still when you don't know that dog. 
And you don't just wait for that dog to come as you see his teeth bearing as he comes your way. You run from him, don't you? And you run to safety and maybe you run into a car or on top of a car or to a house or you climb a wall, but you're running away from the danger and you're running to safety because we don't want to get chewed up by a dog, right? And that's what we need to do in, in the things of God as well, right? There, there's a lot of bad things that are out there and, and you have uh, all the more a challenge in your lives to, to flee from those things that are dangerous. Uh, there, there's bad things that we see on television, that we could see on the internet, you could see on phones. It's so easy to pick them up. Bad things that we might hear. Or maybe it's bad thoughts that we're thinking or bad things that we want to do. Right? Today's a day where a lot of people are saying, well, let's honor our parents. Let's honor our father. And sometimes you're tempted to think that's not such a good idea. But that's a bad thought. And you need to run from those thoughts. And you need to run from those things because just like the bad dogs, those things are going to chew you up if you don't. But then at the same time, you want to run to safety. You want to run to the good thing. And maybe it'll be uh, looking to your dad or your mom for the help you need, the direction you need. Be glad that they're there to give you direction. You run to the Bible, you run to prayer, or maybe you just run to do the good things that God wants you to be doing and you want to do them because you've heard about what Jesus has done. And that godly positive run is, is not just what you need to do, boys and girls. We all need to take that approach. Through faith in Christ and like Christ. And when we do that, what you'll find out happening in your life is that you'll find gentleness, one of the fruit of the Spirit, by the power of God's Spirit coming alongside you. And you'll live in Christ's way that way, who showed his gentleness to us, not by condemning us, but by saving us. The one who has called us to find peace in him and rest for our souls. We're going to focus on this morning on gentleness that the Spirit of Jesus wants us to display and reflect in our lives because that very thing is what Jesus has shown himself. It's said that the word gentleness in Scripture is somewhat hard to translate. Well, we hope to be able to get a little bit of a definition of that here today. But, but gentleness can be just as hard to be as it is to translate. Especially when we see something go wrong or we have something happen to us where we've been wronged. This passage, though, helps us to get a good handle on what gentleness is and, and, and why it should be carried out. Uh, it, it gives us a good handle on what the Lord's will is for us concerning gentleness. By God's grace and because of His grace in Christ, this, this passage can help not just church leaders be gentler or to keep that in mind, 
but all of us who are called to be examples of Christ and as church leaders are, are, are to be good examples to church members, then, then what's being said here about church leaders really does speak to church members at the same time, doesn't it? Because leaders are those who are leading others and uh, they, they got to show the way. They, they have to be ones that are exemplary. Uh, and, uh, and as they're called to gentleness, so also are the members in kind. So we're going to be looking at the marks of the Lord's servant this morning. Marks that are to be reflections of Christ. Marks that are to be reflected for the good of Christ's church and for the good of others. And so we look at that godly pursuit, as I mentioned, a gentle attitude, and that it involves a spiritual soldier involved in a spiritual battle. So we look, first of all, that the Lord's servant is to carry on a godly pursuit. And you see that from kind of the, the, the two sides of, of, of a travel or, or of, a, of an action of, of running, right? Fleeing from the passions of youth and then pursuing what's right. Paul's concerned about the integrity of Timothy's ministry. He talked about that already in the first letter. But he does that especially amid a context of false teachings that are attracting people. And in essence, what Paul is telling Timothy here that way is that, you know, it's, it's bad enough when the, the false teachings are attractive. It's worse that when those who are proclaiming the truth are not attractive in the way that they're presenting themselves, that makes it worse yet. That makes, that makes the false teaching seem that much more attractive to people. And so there's, there's this urgency on, on Paul's part here as he uses the word flee on the one hand and pursue on the other hand. This isn't a walk in the park. Uh, this isn't just taking a stroll around due. This is a, a, a time where where you're on the run. In general, fleeing would be from those things that need to be kept under control. It says here, flee the passions of you. Keeping, uh, and when you think about that, one of the things that comes to mind is, is keeping your sexual passions in order, treating all with purity. Uh, this is part of what we're hearing here, after all, isn't it? That that those who call on the, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, there's purity involved here. If you can't do that as a leader, if you can't control yourself that way, you are no example to the flock or the gospel message, and then it would be no wonder, and it happens too often, that people then are going to turn elsewhere, maybe from a to a different church, but even worse, to, to something other than Christianity for their religion. Because when you're not in control of yourself as a leader and you take advantage of the privilege of leadership, that inability to flee from the passions of youth can scandalize and ruin a church. At least do great harm to it. As we often have seen it, it's it's you know it's just super sad when it happens. And when you're around the on the earth long enough, 
in ministry, you see it happen too many times. Flee the passions of youth. It's not just a sexual thing, it's also to, to tamp down the desire to be the center of attention. All right. Timothy is a young person, remember, and wanting to be the center of attention can be a great temptation when you are young. You boys and girls know that temptation, or you've seen that in, in others, right? Where if you can get people to, to put the spotlight on you because of your behavior, then there's something stimulating about that, right? There, there's something, there's something uh, attractive about that. There's something intoxicating about that. You get everybody looking at you because you're misbehaving or you're acting up or you're talking too much or whatever it is, but you've you got the spotlight on you and that's what you want. You want the praise. You want to do whatever it takes to be in the limelight, but that's, that's, that's inconsistent here with what the Bible is telling us about what the Lord's servant does, right? It's, the Lord's servant doesn't want that. He's a servant. He doesn't want the credit. He doesn't want the glory. He doesn't want to be popular at all times because for him, he serves the Lord. The spotlight is on Christ. The spotlight belongs on the Lord, not the Lord's servant. And so that's another thing that, yeah, that's, that's true again about leaders or members both, right? When we're, when we're, the motivations about doing what you do can be misconstrued, can be misdirected. That the reason why you're doing it is just so that everybody will pat you on the back afterwards. Right? That, that's a wrong motivation. That's like, that's like in the Sermon on the Mount where people are praying, everybody saying, well, isn't he a great prayer? You know, or wow, look at him fast, you know, whatever it be. Um, you want to flee from that spotlight and you want to find yourself putting it on Christ because that's what matters. Fleeing passions uh, includes controlling your temper. All right, the, the, the Lord's servant is not argumentative. He's not quarrelsome. You know, one would think that that wouldn't be a problem for timid Timothy because he's known as, seems to be more of a timid heart. But, but being young, it would still be easy for him to speak first and ask questions later. Be easy for him to try to settle things physically or vindictively or with verbal abuse because he's, he, he's young, he's strong, you know, he could bully. Right? And sometimes that's how people want to try to you know, win arguments, right? If I talk the loudest, if, if I'm the most aggressive, if I call you names, if I dishonor you, well, then I win. No, you, you haven't won, you've just beat up somebody physically or or verbally, back in 1 Timothy 5.1, Timothy said, do not, or Paul said to Timothy, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, right? There's this respect, right? Boys and girls, 
you don't rebuke your dad. You encourage him. It's so easy to look at your folks and say they're the bad people. They're watching after you. Right? You treat them with respect. You encourage them. You tell your dad while you have the chance how much you appreciated or how much you appreciate them. I can still remember it's a little off, a little off of things here, but it I can still remember the last Father's Day that I had my dad. I didn't know that at the time. But I sent him a note and I told him how much I appreciated what he had been to me. How much I needed him. How much he gave to me. And five months later he was gone. I never had to regret that I didn't tell my dad how much I appreciated him. Well, that's, that's how we treat older people, right? The, the, the church leader doesn't bully to get his way. He's supposed to be an example of the Lord himself who would not snuff out a smoldering wick or brew, break a bruised reed as somebody was meek and lowly of heart. Timothy needed to flee these things like there was some angry dog chasing him. He needed to put space between him and these passions that were going to chew him up if he didn't run for them. And we all need to control our passions that way, don't we? If we want the gospel to be an attraction to people with whom we come in contact both within the church and outside of it. But in defeating any vice, fleeing also involves pursuing. We see this in the passage, right? It's not just get away from something, but go to something else that way. We're taught, we talked earlier in the fruit series about a solution to fighting sin is to replace it with something right. right? Stop fretting and delight in the Lord and do good. Spend your time figuring out what you can do to be a blessing. And inevitably, you're going to stop fretting if you don't have time for that. It's the same thing here. Channel the energy that would otherwise go into these passions towards the pursuit of righteousness, faith, love, and peace, says the text. You're fleeing from the dangerous and you're pursuing the things that are not. The good things. Too much time on a person's hands means too many chances to fall into sin. Channel that time positively. Timothy was called to be different from the false teachers around him because the false teachers had nothing better to do than to preoccupy themselves with things that didn't matter. And they were downplaying the body, which led to a belief that anything physical was irrelevant. And that meant the resurrection meant nothing, and that meant that living licentiously, right, Perverdedly didn't mean anything because the body didn't mean anything. And so it would affect priorities. They'd argue about things that didn't matter. Foolish controversies. And then they would do so with no courtesy and no respect and with malice. And Paul says to the Lord's servant, for the integrity of the gospel, for the welfare of the church, for the glory of the Lord, don't take that approach. 
Make doing the right thing a priority, not your passions. Keep your trust in the risen Lord and let that dictate your lifestyle. Give of yourself to God's people. Pursue peace. It's amazing how much the job of the Lord's servant is that way, to bring reconciliation, to resolve conflict whether it happens in marriages or families or in churches. But if, if, if his passions are going to get in the way, so he can't keep the proper pursuits in mind, he simply isn't going to be much of an example for the welfare of the church. And he's not going to be able to carry out his pastoral care very well. He, sim he simply is not going to be a servant of the Lord. He's going to be a slave to his passions, and to his temper. But neither he nor the church is ever going to benefit from that. In fact, all that tends to happen, and, and I can speak of that over time, you just end up regretting it. You do. Doesn't didn't help. But if that's an urgency for the Lord's servant, that's an urgency for all of us. Flee the passions, pursue the good, for the welfare of everyone. And then that gets us into that, especially the focal point here of, of this gentle attitude. He is the Lord's servant, after all, who's gentle and lowly of heart. He has to be like that. He needs to do this with all gentleness, we hear. It all has to be done in gentleness. One person described gentleness this way, we treat all men with perfect courtesy, uh, that we can rebuke without bitterness, argue without intolerance, face the truth without resentment, be angry and sin not, be gentle and yet not weak. The gentle one will not err on the will err on the side of forgiveness rather than on the side of anger. Another has defined gentleness as the ability to bear reproaches and slights with moderation and not to embark on revenge nor be easily provoked to anger, but to be free from bitterness and contentiousness and having tranquility and stability in spirit. It involves a humble opinion of oneself along with the inner strength to control one's emotions, tongue, and behavior. That describes Christ. He never... He was never cowardly in his gentleness. He, he was instead able to control his behavior. He was a lamb who before the shears was dumb and he didn't open his mouth. He refused to be vindictive. He wasn't going to live his life like that. Life wasn't going to be that way for him. He refused to be vengeful and malicious in his approach. He was just but never vindictive. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus was angry, but never sinned in his anger. He never did anything that he had to regret doing because he didn't control his temper. And he was always approachable. And he still is. Because he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, be my disciple, trust me, follow me. Because look, I, that's how I was with my father. I submitted to him. And that's what we're called to 
to display ourselves, that gentleness, that approachability. We don't want to be the kind of person that people look at and say, well, I'm intimidated by you. I don't want to talk to you about anything. You don't want to be like that fathers to your children. You don't want your children to be scared of you. They need to respect you. But they need to be able to come to you and visit with you and, and lay things before you. Just as we're supposed to be able to come to God and we are able to find rest for our souls there. You know, that sense of gentility goes well both ways, right? For fathers and for children. And that's how the Lord's servant's supposed to be as well. And that's and, and this is the way the Lord's servant has to be as a faithful soldier, because that's what we hear here as well, doesn't it? It doesn't mean that he doesn't correct. He's supposed to. He's supposed, he's supposed to be apt to teach. He has to correct people. He has to have the knowledge. He has to be able to counsel. He has to have the will. He has to have the courage, but he has to do it in such a way that's distinctive and that is best in winning people over as God would so use it. And that way is not to bully. It's not to have a big mouth. It's not to be malicious. It's not to be filled with rage. It's not to be done in vengeance. It's not to be grudgingly done. It has to be done in the pursuit of peace and love. Now that doesn't mean everybody's going to listen. I can tell you that's for sure. But the passage says to be patient. You, you try to tell people that they need to turn to Christ or counsel them to do the right thing. You fathers and mothers know how that is. You tell your kids, this is what you ought to be doing. And they don't always appreciate that. Turn off the TV, we have to eat. Just for that, you can't use the car tomorrow. And you wonder sometimes, are they going to get it? And you keep praying for them. You're not supposed to be doing this or that thing, people will say, you know, and and you're, you're afraid that, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm, I'm going to quit with this because I'm sick of being the bad guy. I'm sick of having these people let me have it, whether it's maybe it's my own children or, or maybe it's somebody within the church or, you know, that, that, that is wayward. And the temptation is to say, well, let's just let them have it too. Now be patient because how, how often God was and is patient with people like us. Right? Don't give up too quickly. Don't give up on, uh, on, on people that way so quickly. Don't, don't give up too soon. I, I can still remember when I was, you know, I was just first a pastor and I remember there were these two young boys that were in high school and they were brothers, and they were rolling all over each other. We had a youth group meeting, and I looked at them, and I just thought, what is going to become of you? <laughs> and I just realized I wasn't patient. God, God hadn't given up on them, and I know that today, that they, they have probably 50 years, probably 50 years old now. But, you know, they did, God didn't give up on them, and I had to realize I couldn't give up on them too quickly either. Especially when I think about how the Lord doesn't give up on me too quickly. 
gentleness in that way is no sign of weakness. It's a sign of amazing self-control. What Christ did when people said, get down from the cross, then we'll believe that you're the Son of God. No, I'm going to stay on the cross to show that I am the Son of God. Why this gentility for the servant? He's, he's a soldier that's different than the world's kind of soldier. He's in a spiritual battle, the battle for people's minds. Conversion is first a changing of people's minds. People outside of Christ are literally spiritually drunk. It's partly why they respond out of control towards the Christian church as it seeks to minister to it sometimes. But the battle is to change their minds. It's to get them sobered up. And the gentle approach is the way to go because it is not your temper that is going to change people's mind. Urgency is okay, but, but what will change the mind is God, our passage says, using the truth that's taught. When we remember that it is the Lord that's going to be the person that's going to change the mind, we can enter the situation for correction with greater peace and a gentler temperament. Because God's going to be the one that's going to change it. It's also a battle against Satan. It's the devil that has intoxicated and captured, captivated people's minds, our passage reminds us. Right? What it says there at the end, that they might escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Some would say, well, that makes it a very formidable calling, isn't it, to engage with error that way? And it is. But it underscores the fact that this is truly a spiritual battle that involves spiritual weaponry. It involves prayer. It involves godly motives. It involves godly means. And, and that means that no matter who the foe, we don't seek to take them captive physically. That's militant Islam. Now, we can't compel people to believe. We don't use the holy war tactics of militant Islam and the tactics of fear that way. We use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we rest in the results of the Lord's grace. And only then can a godly approach be carried out by the, the Lord's servant. And actually, that's the case for all of us in shepherding situations as elders, as parents, as teachers, you know, or, or as those who are called to mutual discipline within the church of God. You know, you see somebody going the wrong way and you can't go over there and knock them out, you know, below the knees. I know that sometimes you feel like doing that, but that's not the approach that's going to win them over. It's not the, the ways of the world that way. It's going to be the ways of the word. And that's the battle that the Lord's servant faces so what are the marks of the servant of the Lord? It's a pursuit of godliness. It's a gentle attitude. And then it's an engagement in spiritual battle for hearts that need the gospel truth in Jesus Christ. He needs to be a reflection of his God, his Lord, who says, come to me and I'll give you rest because I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. He needs to be an example for others in the church of God as he ministers the word of God to them and to others, so that together that we could say of one another, right, 
there go people who have been touched by the gentleness of the Savior. They are displaying the fruits of, of Christ's gentleness in their lives. May that be said of us. Whether we're fathers, children, whoever we might be. May that be said of us. That when people see us, they see the fruit of God's and Christ's gentleness in our lives. And may that be so for Jesus' sake, for the welfare of the church, and, and so that we won't get chewed up by the spiritual dogs that are chasing us. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the truths of your word again. And today we've been reminded again of, of the greatness of, of Christ's gentleness, the callings that we have, whether we're leaders or members, to a godly pursuit, a gentle attitude, and a spiritual engagement uh, to capture by the grace of God the, the minds of those who are uh, snared by the devil. And uh, Lord, we pray that we would take these approaches to heart, knowing that in the end, it is your grace that wins people over, and it is your grace that has tolerated us, forgiven us, given us peace in a world that oftentimes finds that peace elusive. We pray, Lord, then, that we find in our lives, and that people might be able to say of us, too, there goes somebody who has known the gentleness of Christ, not just because they've been pardoned, but because they show that gentleness in the way that they approach others as well. May you accept our prayers for the sake of Jesus. Amen.